Well, welcome back, everybody. I am incredibly, incredibly pumped. I think I told you last week, I'm the world's biggest extrovert, and me knowing that you're in your living room is not the same as me getting to see everybody and say hello. So I know there's a bunch of you in your living room. I didn't get to see you yet, but I'm looking forward to when I do. But for those of you that are out in the yard that came or were able to be with us today, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. I look forward to us being able just to lift our voices together and continue to fellowship together and uh, lift one another up. So it is good to have you here. Um, and it is Palm Sunday. So, you know, I don't know if you even know when you think of Palm Sunday what that's all about. I, when I was a kid, I didn't grow up in a Christian home and we didn't go to church, but w there was a time when there was like a school bus that would come by and pick up all the kids in the neighborhood and take us to Sunday school. And I was on that bus because it was free babysitting for my parents and they were all about that. So I would get on this bus and I remember showing up at church on Palm Sunday with no idea what it was. All I knew is they handed me a palm branch, like a little miniature palm branch. It was maybe, I don't know, two feet long or something like that. And they gave me this palm branch and I, and I looked at it and I thought, what in the world is this for? What in the world does this mean? But, you know, I'm very bright. So it took me about five seconds to realize this is intended to be a weapon to whack my brother in the head with. So that's what I did. And it turned out to be great. The whole bus ride home, I think he really, really enjoyed it. And so we, we celebrated together. And that was my introduction to Palm Sunday. But as it turns out, once I read my Bible, I realized there's more to Palm Sunday than whacking your brother in the head. Who knew, right? So anyway, Palm Sunday is this day when we remember the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem in order to pay the price for our sins. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles, whether you've got it on your phone or your iPad or in a, in a nice leather-bound book, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. It's in your New Testament, third book of the New Testament. I want you to go to Luke chapter 19. Now, there's multiple... Um, accounts in the Gospels of this event, but we're going to look at Luke's account today. And I want you to read with me, beginning in Luke 19, verse 28, and we're going to read down through verse 40. Here we go. After he had seen these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Uh, when he appeared, when he approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount, which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you. There as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? You think? I would have said the same thing, probably in stronger language. They said, the Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. As soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. I want you to get this scene. Even as I read that to you, I think that perhaps it kind of comes across a little black and white, a little drab, a little boring. I want you to get a feel for what we're actually talking about. First of all, this is the beginning of Passover week in Jerusalem. What that means is this is their annual party to end all parties. People show up at the beginning of the week, they come into the city, and everyone celebrates every single day for the whole Passover week. And I'm not, when you think about celebrating, I don't want you to picture, you know, a nice, quiet people having a Seder dinner and everybody being solemn and prayer and all that kind of stuff. What you need to picture if you want to get a sense of what this is, is you need to picture um, a victory parade in Los Angeles when the Lakers have won the championship. Just minus lighting the cars on fire. Everything else, same thing, right? Or, or picture Mardi Gras. This is Mardi Gras, but everybody keeps their shirts on. That's the deal, right? So picture that. Everybody is there. The wine is flowing freely all week long. It is a non-stop party, and it begins on this Sunday. And while this giant crowd is there, there's, there's about 100 to 200,000 extra people in this little city of Jerusalem at this time. And so they're shouting, they are singing, they are dancing. Re remember, these people have come from the outskirts. Most of these people that are celebrating together have not been together to celebrate and worship in the same place for a year. Can you imagine? And that's the situation. They're high-fiving, they're hugging, they're dancing, they're, they're clapping. Um, they are not social distancing. That's what's happening. It is a huge, massive parade. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. In fact, the kids' video addressed this already, but I want you to take your Bibles. This is going to be a contest. Find the book of Zechariah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Not familiar with where Zechariah is? Come on, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. What's the deal? Zechariah is the next to the last book of the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, turn left two books, you're going to find Zechariah. I want you to go to the book of Zechariah chapter 9 and we're going to see why these people were celebrating the way they were when Jesus came into town. Zechariah 9 beginning in verse 8. Now the prophet has been talking about how Israel is going to be under the oppression of a great army and there's going to be those who are ruling over them. But don't worry because God has heard their cry and he's going to deliver them. So here we go. Verse 8, Zechariah 9. But I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns. And no oppressor will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. 
He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. God has pronounced there's going to be a day when I'm going to send a deliverer who's going to set you free from bondage and you're going to know because he's going to come riding into Jerusalem on the foal, the colt of a donkey. Now there's already been a lot of talk about is Jesus the Messiah, is Jesus the Messiah. There's a buzz in town. Everybody's talking about that. And then all of a sudden, somebody runs ahead of the donkey and starts shouting, the king is coming, the king is coming. And Jesus rides in just exactly as Zechariah's prophecy said it would happen. This means deliverance. That's why they're partying. That's why they're having an amazing uh, celebration. And we call it Palm Sunday because although Luke doesn't mention it, the other gospels mention that they were not only throwing their coats on the ground before the donkey, but also laying down palm branches that they were using as a part of their celebration. They thought Jesus was coming to overthrow the Romans. No wonder they got so excited. They treated him like a conquering king. They were there to celebrate Passover, which is their great feast of what? Deliverance. This is the feast that remembers when they were delivered from the oppressive hand of Egypt. And now they know that he is coming to deliver them from the oppressive hand of Rome. They can't wait to see what happens. So Jesus, riding in on that donkey... Gives them a reason to rejoice. It was a huge celebration. It was a massive party. But was it real worship? Now obviously I can't judge anybody's heart when it comes to worship. I, I don't know what, what was the condition of the hearts of those people that were lining the streets and shouting Hosanna. I would guess that for at least a few of them, this was a very sincere praise and worship of the Messiah. But let's not forget what Jesus told the woman at the well. True worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. Is this real worship? True worship is authentic. It comes from the heart. We worship God for who he is. Not because we're hoping to get him to do something for us. And for most of these people, the evidence is pretty strong that this was not real worship. Even though we, we today, we sang this morning, Hosanna in the highest, just like they did. Even though we clap and shout just like they did. For them, apparently, this was not real worship. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Doug? Thank you for asking. That's an excellent question. I hope to explain now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they weren't singing and shouting and clapping. They were doing all those things. They were raising their hands and raising their voices. But it would be this same crowd who in just four days would be lining the streets and shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. 
the same people who were lining the streets of Jerusalem shouting Hosanna are now going to be lining the streets of Jerusalem as he carries his cross up to Calvary's hill and they are going to be spitting at him and they're going to be throwing things at him. Some of them would meet him again on Calvary's hill and they're going to be laughing and they're going to be mocking him and they're going to be spitting at him as he hangs naked and bleeding on the cross. Same crowd. So let's be clear. Just because you're shouting and singing and lifting your hands and clapping doesn't mean you're really worshiping. Let's be honest. Some of us know this from experience. It is easy to praise him when he is behaving in the ways you want him to behave, right? When he is pouring out the blessings, doing all the things you want him to do. But it is even easier to turn your back on him when you feel like he has let you down and he is not doing the things you want him to do. That's what happened for these people. He came into town. They saw a deliverer. They saw a winner. But it was very obvious by the third or fourth day of the week that he wasn't going to deliver anybody. That he wasn't there to run the Romans out at all. Have you ever... Have you ever prayed for something and prayed and prayed and prayed for something that you really, really, really wanted and yet it didn't happen? I am a lifelong UCLA fan, so I understand this deeply. When you pray and pray and pray and it still doesn't happen. But sometimes you're praying for something, believe it or not, that is even more important than the big game. Sometimes you're praying to save a relationship that is crumbling and you can't seem to fix it. And sometimes you're praying because you desperately need a job and you're going on interview after interview and it just isn't happening and doors are getting closed in your face. Sometimes you're, you're crying out to God for the salvation of a loved one. I mean, how could God not want that, right? And so you're praying and praying and praying, but it just keeps not happening. Or maybe you need a physical healing and you're praying for that and it just keeps not happening. Or you're praying to get pregnant and it just keeps not happening. Or perhaps more at home for some of you, you're praying to not be pregnant. And it's not happening. Sometimes we seek God's favor. It feels like we don't get it. It is easy to come to Christ when he is doing what you want him to do. But it's a whole other thing when he's not. It's easy to come to him when you want him to do something for you. But harder to come to him just because he is who he is. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, watch out. It's a trap. Who is to say that the thing that you want so badly is actually the thing that is best for you? I know you're sure you're right about this, right? But let me just ask you to think about your own history. Think about maybe some relationship that you just had to have and it just wasn't happening. And then a few years go by and you look back and you say, thank you God for protecting me from that. Right? Or, or maybe, you know, uh, you were on a job search like I talked about. And you just kept getting the door shut in your face. And you thought, man, God has abandoned me. Only to find that there was another job waiting for you that was the perfect fit and opportunity for you. 
My wife and I, as I've told you, I've been in that market for a house all of 2021, basically. And this is like the hardest time in American history to buy a house. The market is completely crazy. And we keep making offers and we keep getting rejected. I mean, houses we love. This is the one for us. This is the right neighborhood. This is the right everything. And it doesn't happen but now we're in escrow on a house that we look at and we go, wow, this is the perfect house that God saved for us. See, sometimes what we think we want is not really what we need. In fact, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Now, some of you are very familiar with this passage, very famous passage in Proverbs chapter 3. But I want us to look at it together. It has a lot to do with this issue of our worship and how they failed in their worship on that original Palm Sunday. Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Here's what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Just in case you didn't hear me, do not lean on your own understanding. Why would God say that to us? Well, perhaps it's because our understanding is limited. Our understanding is flawed. Our understanding is marred by our own selfish desires. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. They were sure that Jesus was coming to free them from the Romans, but they were wrong. They, they, they were used to Jesus just doing cool stuff. They, they had been following him because of all the healings. They had been following him because he cast out demons. They had been following him because he multiplied food and gave it away for free. They had been following him because he performed miracles. They had been following him because he gave them hope, right? And as long as he kept doing what they wanted him to do, they were cool with Jesus. But not everything they wanted was what they actually needed. They wanted deliverance from the Romans, but he had come to give them deliverance from sin and death. They didn't understand. God was keeping his promise through the prophet Zechariah just as they thought he was, but they didn't understand the promise. Do not lean on your own understanding. By the way, this is why so many cult leaders and so many false teachers appeal to people's fleshly desires. You know, just join our group. Just, just become part of our cause. Just make a donation to us. Just buy this prayer cloth. Just come to this prophecy conference and God will give you whatever it is that you want. And it sells because people love to have their ears tickled. People want what they want and if you can give them a shortcut to get it, of course they're going to be on board. But it's a trap. Oh, it's such a trap. Because inevitably there comes a time when you don't get what you want. And when that happens, you blame God. He lied to me. He's been unfaithful. 
you know, the guy at that prophetic conference said I was going to get a new job this year. Well, the year is gone and I didn't get it. God is not faithful. God is not trustworthy. You know, that preacher said if I send for this prayer cloth and give him a hundred bucks, my cancer would be healed. But my cancer is getting worse. God is not faithful. And people turn their backs on God because promises God never made to them are not being kept. And we're holding God accountable because we don't think he's doing what he ought to be doing. It's a trap. We blame God when things don't go the way we want them to. That's why Jesus was so direct and honest with people. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If any man wishes to come after me, that's what he's going to have to do. Your love for me is going to have to be so great, says Jesus, that by comparison, your love for your family is going to seem like hatred. You're going to have to walk away from all your responsibilities. You're going to have to let the dead bury their own dead and you come follow me. Those things are hard to hear. And every time Jesus would say something like that, guess what the crowd would do? Disperse. Jesus had an amazing way of chasing crowds away. While we preachers are all trying to figure out how do we draw a bigger crowd, Jesus was always thinning the crowd out by just telling them the truth. Because people love to get their ears tickled. And they love to be told what they want to hear. I mean, all you have to do is watch American politicians and you know that. They'll tell you what you want to hear. People want to be delivered from their problems. But Jesus came to deliver us from sin and death. The problem is that sometimes we would rather get what we want than get what we need. You know that's true. You know that's true. So when we don't get what we want, we join the crowd shouting, crucify him. He's let us down. He didn't do what he thought he would do. And we turn away from him. And we judge him based on circumstances instead of interpreting our circumstances in light of who he is. The crowd on Palm Sunday was celebrating because they thought they were backing a winner. But by the middle of the week, Jesus had been taken into custody late in the week. And now the Romans they thought he was going to obliterate had now taken him captive. Obviously he must not be the winner they thought he was. He must be a loser. And they turned on him. I'll never forget this. Lifelong baseball fan. 1986. The Angels finally had a really good team. And they were in the playoffs against the Boston Red Sox and they only needed one more win to go to the World Series. They had this amazing relief pitcher. His name was Donnie Moore. Nobody could hit this guy. And so as long as you had a lead by the ninth inning, you just brought in Donnie Moore. He mowed him down. Nobody could hit this guy and it was a win. And sure enough, the last game they needed to nail down. And it comes to the ninth inning and they bring in Donnie Moore and they've got a lead. And you know what Donnie Moore does? He throws the ball right over the middle of the plate and Dave Henderson hits it out of the park. And the Red Sox go on to win the American League championship. Man, the crowd was cheering when Donnie Moore came in the game. And they were booing when he left. But you know, the next year, Every single time he came into the game, the whole crowd stood up and booed Donnie Moore. It got to the point where the Angels had to trade him. And within two years, he was out of baseball. And Donnie Moore committed suicide. 
It's a tragic, tragic, terrible story. And we now stand back and we go, oh, those people, how awful. But you know, perhaps some of us were in that crowd actually booing him at that time. Because we love to back a winner, but we can't stand to be associated with a loser. That's what these people were dealing with. We have to remember, God is worthy of our worship. Whether he's behaving the way we hope he'll behave or not. Because God is always right. God is always good. There's a saying that goes around Christian circles. God is good all the time, right? God is good all the time. God is good all the time. He's not only good when things are going the way you want. He's not only good when it's a sunshiny day. He's good in the storm. He's not only good when you're getting a promotion. He's good when you're getting laid off. He's not only good when you get that clean bill of health. He's also good when you get that call from the doctor saying, I need to see you in my office first thing in the morning. God is good. And he's worthy of our worship. Here's the sad and true story of that original Palm Sunday. Jesus was a hero who disappointed the people because he didn't meet their expectations and they turned on him. And it's an easy trap to fall into. Lest we judge that crowd too harshly, let me ask you this. Has God ever failed to answer a prayer the way you wanted it answered? Has he ever allowed you to go through a painful experience or even a painful season that you would have rather skipped? Has he ever been silent when you just really needed to hear from him? Do not lean on your own understanding. What those fickle people didn't know on Palm Sunday is that Jesus had a great plan. He did have a great plan. It was a plan of deliverance. He had come to meet their greatest need. But his plan wasn't their plan. They were leaning on their own understanding. And because of that, they fell right into Satan's trap and turned their back on the only one who was their hope. It's been a tough year. I don't have to tell you that. It's been tough since the last time we gathered on a Sunday morning on campus to worship the Lord together as a church family. We have all been through a lot. Much of it was not what we wanted. Much of it has been beyond our control. Much of it has been beyond our understanding. But as we enter Holy Week in 2021... May we always remember that Good Friday, as horrible as it was, was followed by Resurrection Sunday. Just when it seemed that death had defeated Jesus, my friends, Jesus defeated death. This is the God we serve. God has not forgotten you. God has not ignored you. God has not abandoned you. He's working out his plan. Oh, I know it's hard to see. I know it's hard to understand sometimes. I know it's not what you expected it to be. But I promise you this. His plan for you is better than your plan for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He's God and he deserves your worship every moment of every day. Trust him. He's got this. Father, thank you that you are so worthy of our trust. Thank you that though we see in the mirror dimly, we will one day see you face to face. And what is unclear will become clear. Thank you that you understand what we have no hope of understanding. Thank you that you have power over that which we have no power over. Lord, we are never safer than when we draw near to you and you draw near to us. And so we ask you, God, give us that hope. Give us that faith, that unwavering faith that we can hold your hand and trust you even when you lead us into the valley of the shadow of death. May we trust in you, Lord, with all of our hearts. May we lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, Lord, we choose to acknowledge you. Oh, God. God, make our path straight, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.